Grace, peace, and mercy be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's been a rough couple of weeks for our country and for our faith, I would say. I don't know about you, but as I celebrated Independence Day yesterday, it was kind of a bittersweet celebration. As I look and around me and saw the strife, the turmoil, the despair uh, of so many Christians around me and wonder what's happened, what's happened to the state of our country and the state of our faith. And if you're there with me, I hope that this passage ends up being as healing and hopeful for you as it has been for me this week. Because I feel like this was perfectly, uh, you know, Pastor Dyer and I set the schedule six months ago. uh, and, And yet this passage to me is so timely. And the apostles in this story are dealing with very similar issues as what we are dealing with now. And so if you'll look at the scripture with me, I want to just catch you up. The first 23 verses are Peter and John being oppressed and persecuted by their government. Uh, They've been called before the Sanhedrin, their rulers, uh, and they have expressly told them, do not talk about Jesus anymore, do not practice your faith anymore. And where our reading picks up is what they do immediately afterwards. So they've just been told to stop all this stuff, and immediately afterwards they go back to their own people, report everything, and they pray to God. And the prayer they pray is just as powerful and poignant today as it was 2,000 years ago, which is especially funny because they actually are stealing the prayer from even earlier in the Bible. This prayer they pray is from Psalm chapter 2. And so even though it's written there in your reading, I'm actually going to go to Psalms, and I'm going to read a a little bit more of that section than what you saw in Acts. So here's Psalms chapter 2. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. Now, hopefully, I don't have to connect the dots too much for you this morning. Who is this king that God has installed on his holy hill? Anyone? We're not really confident in that one. Who's the king? Jesus Christ, yep, that was a safe one, is Jesus Christ is the king. And he was crowned king back in Psalms' time, he was king uh, in the apostles' time, and he is king in 2015. And it's not like a, a hesitating kingship. It's not like, oh, I just barely am holding on to the kingdom and we're losing it. God is the God, the creator of the heavens, the earth, the seas, and everything in them. And when he anoints a king, that king's in charge. And there is nothing any person, government, entity can do to reject that. In fact, as we see in this story, what did, they do? What did the government do? They killed God. That's pretty terrible. And yet, what do the apostles pray in reference to that? In verse 28, they say that these government leaders, they did only what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. They killed God, and and God's believers are going, but you know what? It's fine. 
It's fine because you're the king and they didn't do anything that you didn't want to do beforehand. And modern day governments can do a lot of evil stuff. Our government can mess up a lot and it will. Uh, But there's nothing our government or any government could do that I think is going to compare to killing God. It might kill us. That's fine. It's nothing compared to killing God. And yet the apostles said, no biggie. It was part of your will. And they trusted in God's sovereignty because they believed what Scripture says when when it says that God laughs at these puny governments, these kings, these presidents, these despots. It doesn't matter. God laughs at them because he has perspective. He recognizes that they're not truly a threat to his authority. And if we had that same perspective, we wouldn't worry either. Just like these apostles could so calmly say, nothing's happened that you didn't want to happen, God, and we're cool because we trust that you are sovereign. If we could do that, I think a lot of our anxiety would go out the window fairly quickly. If we could look at even a ruling and say, this is not something that that, uh, is, is by my faith or for my faith, and we could say, but you know what? God is in control. And you know what God thinks of this ruling? He laughs. And the way I picture it is like my kids. See, my kids, they love to play mommy and daddy, which I got to tell you sounds like the boringest game ever because I live mommy and daddy. And I don't, it's not that great, but they love mommy and daddy. All right. And they, they'll come to, and they love telling me all the game they're playing. And Fable will come up to me and say, Daddy, we decided that we don't have bedtime anymore. And what do I do? I laugh. You can decide that all you want, but we all know what's happening at 7.30 tonight. It doesn't matter what you say. And, and, And just as frivolous as that is when my kids try and have authority that's not theirs, that's how we have to picture it. Government, they feel big and bad. They feel like they can oppress. They feel like they have all this power in the world. God laughs at them. And so if you needed hope this morning, let me give you this hope, that there is nothing our government can do, any government can ever do, that will break or reject God's authority. Nothing will happen except what God decided beforehand should happen. And I hope and pray that that gives you peace to be reminded of that encouraging word word this morning. That when Christ came, he came to suffer and die. He also came to be king. And when we're confident in the king, we don't have to worry about the other stuff. But with that, there is then something that we are called to worry about as believers. But it's not that. I I hope that's clear. That when it comes to trusting uh, God's authority, there's a lot of stuff that God says, I got this, don't worry. But then he says, there's some other stuff, though, that I want you to be focused on. And so I've uh, devised a a, a quiz for you this morning. Uh, And I apologize. I've tried to do it as fairly as possible. Um, But here's what I need. If you are looking at the story in your Bibles this morning, I need you to close your Bibles, please. If you are uh, looking at it on your iPad or phone, uh, just, you know, put the lock screen on for a moment because I want you to actually be tested this morning. You see, studies tell us that the most effective way to retain information and truly uh, incorporate it into our heart and our mind both uh, is to be tested. Uh, Homework's actually not that helpful, uh, but constant testing is. Putting someone on the spot and saying, do you have this information or not? That's what makes them retain it. The best thing to do in our schools would be for teachers to have quizzes and tests every day, but they don't because the students would mutiny and it'd be awful and ugly. Uh, and so they're, they're gracious and kind and, and they, they back it off, but truly tests are good and helpful. So I want to test you this morning. Here is where our story ends. I cut the story off in the reading. That's how I kind of cheated. The reading is actually three verses longer than what we read this morning because I didn't want you to have the answer ahead of time. I want you to struggle, and I want everyone here to think and come up with an answer in your mind, to struggle with this question. 
our passage ends with them praying to God that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit and speak the word of God boldly. And the place shakes. They know that the prayer has been answered. Here's the question. Knowing that this prayer, that they'd be filled with the Holy Spirit and speak the word of God boldly, has been answered, what would you expect to see the believers doing after this? How will they act? What impact will they have on the culture around them? What things will they do knowing that they are filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking the word of God boldly? Right? Anyone have any? And it's not a trick question. I'm not, I'm not, it's, it's just try it. Anyone have any guesses? So they'd preach. What would they preach, Julie? Okay, so they'd preach the word of God. All right, so that would be something that we would expect to see happen after this. Okay, any other guesses? They'd perform miracles, right? I mean, they prayed to, be, to perform miracles. Yep, we'd absolutely expect to see that happen. What else would we expect to see happen next? They'd care for one another. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good one. What else? Thank you, Susan. Many would come to know Christ. Absolutely. We'd expect, if they're being effective with God's word and his spirit, that, that the church would grow and expand, right? These are all good answers, okay? Uh, any, else, any other ideas? They'd, what's that, Chris? Celebrate. They'd be celebrate. There'd be joy and celebration. Yeah? Okay? That they take a nap. Probably at some point. Get to, and do some normal stuff. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, they got to sleep sometime, right? All right. So you don't have to share an answer, but I, I, I do ask that I, everyone sitting here that you have an answer in your head that you, that you think would be the right answer for what, what you would expect to see. Everyone got one? Okay. Here we go. You can open your Bibles again if you want. Get your phone out. Here's what the Bible says happens next. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. If those weren't next to each other in the Bible, you wouldn't necessarily guess that they went together. I mean, at least I wouldn't. And yet what the Bible is saying is when God's believers trusted in his authority and sovereignty, prayed that they would speak the word of God boldly, three things that were very important immediately followed. And the first is the believers were one in heart and mind. Short word for that, unified. Just to ask an opinion question, how many of you think that the uh, Christian church in the United States is unified? Oh, good. All right, we don't have to prove that one, right? We're not unified at all. None of you fell for that. Even the Lutherans can't get unified. There's like 50 different Lutheran denominations. I, mean, I can't even keep up with which Lutherans there are. People are like, oh, well, I used to be LCA, but now I'm LCMC, but now we're going to switch back over to ALC. And frankly, we're just going to give up at this point and become Wells because that's the simplest. And you're going like, can the Lutherans not even get it together? The Lutherans aren't unified. Not only that, we, we, we bicker and quarrel amongst denominations. We've got, we've got Baptists and Lutherans arguing, and you've got the Baptists saying, well, your baptisms don't count. And you've got the Lutherans going, well, oh, yeah, well, your communion doesn't count. How do you like that? And we argue over these things. And I look at verse 32, that's not what we're supposed to be doing. That the first result of praying for God's Holy Spirit to be in them and that they would speak the word of God boldly was unified believers 
one in heart and mind. And I tell you, before we get to any other problems, we have to, you know, it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You've got to deal with the first stuff first. You've got to have shelter before you can worry about food. You've got to have food before you worry about entertainment. And I mean, you have to have these things in order. And what the Bible is saying is the first order of business is unity amongst believers. And we don't have it. I know for a variety of reasons what I see, what I just talked about, I know because for the last two weeks, I'm, my friends are 90% Christian, and yet my Facebook feed was 50-50 split between people who are outraged and people who changed their icon to have a little rainbow glow to it. All right, they're all Christians. We're not unified. And why are we not unified? Next verse. Because what did these guys do? They, with great power, continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They preached boldly, as several of you said. They preached. What did they preach? The resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Did they preach morality? Mm -mm. Did they preach theological distinctions? No. And keep in mind where that we're talking about. This is the Roman Empire, which has been featured in a lot of TV shows and movies as of late. So we've seen firsthand some of the depravity that goes on. Roman Empire was a pretty terrible and sinful place to be when it comes to morality. And yet they didn't preach against all of the depraved practices and the sins of the Romans. They preached the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And what I have seen very little of, of late, is preaching the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. I've seen a lot of homosexuality is against the Bible. I've seen a lot of this is the country uh, rejecting uh, our God. I've seen a lot of morality preaching and not Christ and him resurrected. And I want to be very clear and careful here to say, it's not that, the, that Christians don't have opinions on those things, but it's about prioritizing what they are. To, to me, the equivalent, it'd be like if someone asked me what Star Wars is about. And I'm like, oh, Star Wars, I mean, it's a great movie. If I had to really just sum it up in like two words, uh, intergalactic politics, that's what Star Wars is about, right? No, it's not. That's not what Star Wars is about. Star Wars is about lightsabers. That's what Star Wars is about. Now, are there intergalactic politics in Star Wars? Yeah, it's the worst part of the movie. Uh, but the lightsaber is the best part. But it's the same thing that you could say an answer that is technically true. Yes, there's intergalactic politics. And completely miss the point of what the movies are about. And in the same way, what we see here is the picture of what is Christianity about? Christ and him resurrected. But if you ask the culture around us right now in 2015 America, what is Christianity about? Another quick pop quiz for you this morning. How many of you think if you ask unbelievers, I'm not talking about our own opinion, if you ask those around us in culture what Christianity is about, how many of you think that the number one answer is Christ and him resurrected? All right, good. We gotta, we're, we're, we're square this morning, right? In fact, we know what the answer is because uh, the Barna Group, which is a Christian survey company, asks this question every year. And so we know uh, firsthand what the answer is. When you ask unbelievers what Christianity is about, the answers are, in order, anti-homosexuality, anti-abortion, overly political, 
are the one, two, and three answers when you ask unbelievers what Christianity is about. And again, the first two of those, I don't disagree with them, but they sure are not what we are about, right? When I, uh, when I, when I try to say what does Christianity be about, it's resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And, and I think of, of a story that one of my seminary professors uh, shared with me where he had gone to a doctor, uh, first time with this particular doctor, and the doctor was just getting to know him, doing the chart, and, and saw that he had written pastor down for his uh, occupation. And the doctor, with very little warning or preamble, said, oh, a pastor? So you probably believe all that six-day creation hooey, huh? There was the opening gambit, right? Now, as a matter of fact, my professor does believe uh, in a six-day creation, but he didn't want to argue about creation versus evolution with a doctor, what he instead said was, well, what do you think? And the doctor said, well, I believe in evolution, obviously, on all these reasons. And, and, and my professor just kept probing and talking and engaging and said, well, do you, you, know, do you believe that, you know, that there's a God and, uh, at all? And the doctor, well, yeah, I believe there's a God. Oh, and you think God you know, likes us or loves us or cares for us? Well, yeah, I, I think that. And, and, and my pastor, as he asked probing question after probing question, by the end of the appointment, uh, had invited this doctor to church and the doctor came the next Sunday to his church. And do you see the difference? That there were two right answers in that situation. It would have been a right answer to say, well, yeah, I believe in a six-day creation. What of it? You want to have some debate right now? Which, again, would be very gutsy, considering this guy is about to be poking you in all sorts of places. I don't know if that's the time for that debate. But instead, my professor said, I don't want to argue about creation with my doctor. I want to tell my doctor about Jesus. And if we would remember that that's the point, that's the one thing, that would actually solve a lot of problems. We wouldn't have to worry about preaching empty morality because we'd just focus on the one thing. All the division amongst Christians would go away because instead of arguing with Baptists about sacraments, we could be saying, but man, we love that Jesus saved us from dead, right? That's pretty awesome that Jesus conquered death, right? And by just getting back to the one thing, we would then solve the unity problem and we would be unified again. And so they were unified. They preached the one thing that mattered, which is Christ resurrected. And then thirdly, the result of these endeavors, the, the outcome of, of believers who are unified and preach Christ resurrected is that there were no needy persons among them. They took care of each other. And again, I know that individually, I talk with many of you, I know that individually that is a priority for many of us here this morning. But as uh, Christianity as a whole, unbelievers sure don't see that. When you talk to unbelievers, they don't say, oh man, those Christians, I don't necessarily agree with what they say, but boy, they sure love each other. And I saw it because I saw the friction amongst Christians on Facebook this week and even contributed to it a little bit. And it makes me think, uh, I grew up Air Force, as some of you know, both of my parents in the Air Force. And one of the things that I loved about it and saw was the community amongst Air Force people, especially when you're on an overseas base. Uh, and, and my parents have spent the last 20 years since they got out of the Air Force lamenting uh, how hard it is to find people who support and care about you in civilian community. And growing up in that environment, I saw it, that we'd move to a new neighborhood and there would be kids pounding down the door because they were excited there was a new friend. Uh, and there would be people bringing over food because, oh, you're still getting settled. And, and I saw what happens when you have a community that is known for people supporting and loving each other. And I saw how many people go, eh, I, don't, you know, I think I'm going to go into the military, not necessarily because I'm a fighter or anything, but because I love the community, because I love what I saw and the benefits. And in the same way, we're not asking people up front to believe everything we believe. Why would they? 
But if we can say, but look at what we've got going on. Because we are unified, because we are focused on Christ resurrected, we take care of each other. And people on the outside would look at that and say, boy, I maybe need to find out more about what's going on with those guys. Maybe I need to give this Jesus guy a second thought. And those three things led, as some of you even said, uh, it's, it says it in the next chapter, not this one, the church grew exponentially. Now, if you didn't know, I think Pastor Dyer mentioned it in one of his sermons, uh, but about a month ago they released the Gallup poll, uh, and uh, every single Christian denomination has shrunk in the United States over the last 10 years. Every single one. And I have to believe that the problem is not a Supreme Court ruling. I have to believe that the problem is that we as believers have lost Acts 4, 32 through 35. That we have lost an emphasis and focus on unity. We have lost a, a reminder that morality uh, is all part of the, the outside stuff and it matters, but it's not the center, which is Christ resurrected. And we have forgotten that when, when God then tells us what morality matters, the number one priority is loving your neighbor and taking care of them. And I have to believe that if the 200 people gathered here this morning, that if we had a choice between passing an entire political agenda that was exactly everything we as Christians wanted it to be, a slate of laws that was all biblically based, uh, and, and we'd get it through Congress, through the courts, through the president, and we'd pass it today, or if just 200 of us would recommit ourselves to being unified with other believers proclaiming Christ resurrected and taking care of each other, that that one would bear vastly more fruit than getting some laws passed. That that would bring us back to the exponential growth that, that we saw in the early church. And that that would let us have peace in our hearts that the government can pass any law it wants and God will laugh at the end of the day. But we know what we're doing which is being unified with each other, preaching Christ resurrected, loving one another and taking care of each other. And if we do that, I don't care which government you're a part of, which country, which laws, God's kingdom will advance. But it only happens if we truly trust that he's the king in the first place. It only happens when we say, you know what, God is king, nothing has happened except what he allowed. And with that peace, we can go out and make the difference that God has called us to make. Amen.